Today we want to give a very special welcome to the members of the Community Adventist Fellowship and our congregation right across North America. I want to send my special greetings today to the people who are standing with us in this time of crisis for the people of Russia and for the people of the Ukraine. Across this vast land we're hearing from you every day. We just appreciate your prayers, we appreciate everything that you're doing to help it make it possible to preach the Word of God. By the time many of you will see this television program, I will be in Kiev, and I want you to pray earnestly for these meetings. We're using a hall that seats more than 10,000 people. We've been told that we're going to get tremendous opposition from the, from the state church, which has decreed that they're going to drive every preacher out of that country. Pray for us. They're calling this the last crusade in Kiev. Pray for us. And so we want to say to every person today, all of you who stand with us and who pray with us and for us, God bless you and thank you. Today, this is number seven in a series. We're going to deal today with the great Antichrist of Daniel chapter seven. The topic is the great Antichrist of Bible prophecy. But before you turn to Daniel 7, there's something else I want to say to you. The greatest truth in the Bible is not the truth about the Antichrist, but the truth about Jesus Christ. It is a great tragedy if we simply focus on the Antichrist today, and we forget that we are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And before we turn today to Daniel 7, I want you to turn to one of the greatest passages in all of Holy Writ, and that is Philippians chapter 2 and verses 5 to 11. I wish that you'd please turn to that, if you don't mind, to Philippians chapter 2, and verses 5 and onwards. Philippians, second chapter, and verse 5 and onwards, which is a tremendous Pauline passage about our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want every person here today, please, to turn to the texts. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Before I talk about the Antichrist today, I want you to know this, that Jesus is our supreme Lord. And all the powers in this world are under his authority. And the day is going to come when every person, even Satan himself, the original Antichrist, every person is going to bow his knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I want every person to know this because today I told you a little of the attacks that our ministry is receiving from people right here in Southern California. The attacks that we're receiving to try to stop us preaching the gospel to the, the poor people in Russia and the Ukraine. I want every person to know we need not fear them because our Christ is Lord of all. And the Bible tells us that every power in this world is subject to the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who came down from glory and the Bible says he took upon himself the form of a servant and for our sake he became nothing. And the Bible says he became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. But the Bible says God the Father has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name that every knee is going to bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so I say today, glory be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now please turn to Daniel chapter 7. And that now we will notice the Antichrist. 
Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the, were the four winds of heaven, churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. Now this chapter, these verses, introduce the little horn of the nefarious Antichrist who makes war against the people of God. But before we reveal today the identity of the Antichrist, let me say these words and let me say them as strongly as I can. Listen to me, my beloved Christian friends. God has got his people in every church and so does the devil. Did you hear this? Normally I only say the first part. God has got his people in every church. The children of God, my friend, are not confined to any single denomination. We had a person whom we considered to have the gift of prophecy. I believe this. Ellen White, she said, the vast majority of God's people are not in our church, but out there in those other churches. I do not believe in narrow-minded sectarianism. God has his people in every church, and so does the devil. And just because people are on the church roll or employed by the church doesn't mean that they're children of God. And listen to this. Where the spirit of Satan is manifested, the spirit of intolerance, the spirit of persecution, the spirit of pride, arrogance, and lawlessness, wherever it happens, there is the spirit of the Antichrist. And this great portrayal of truth today should not lead us to self-righteousness. It should not lead us to point our fingers at other people and say that we are holier than they are. It should lead us to say, I am a frail, sinful human being, and there but for the grace of God go I. And the great story of the Antichrist is the story of your life. It is the story of my life, but for the grace of God. Please notice verse, verse 2 again. Daniel said, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven, the winds of strife, churning up the great sea. And in Bible prophecy, the sea is symbolic of the peoples of the earth. And when the sea is churned up, it is a symbol of the peoples of the earth in great turmoil and strife. And before I say anything else today, let me remind every person in this church that I believe that there are Bibles in the pews in the front of you. And if possible, I would like you to take a Bible and follow what I'm saying in the Word of God. This is a church where we encourage people not just to listen, not just to be spectators, but to be people who become identified with the living Word of God. Jesus said, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And the people who grow the most and who become the strongest are the people who study every day the word of God and bring their Bibles to church. And therefore, if you can get a Bible, and if it's possible, please follow the texts. Notice verse 4, verse 3. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. Uh, what does a beast represent in Bible prophecy? In Bible prophecy, according to the Word of God, a beast is symbolic of a king or a kingdom. Please notice verse 17 of the same chapter. The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. Therefore, in Bible prophecy, wind is a symbol of strife. Number two, the sea is the symbol of the peoples of the earth. And number three, a beast is symbolic of a kingdom or a nation. Would you please notice verse four. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. 
I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man and the heart of a man was given to it. Therefore, my beloved friend, the first beast that arises from the turbulent sea is, is the lion with the wings of an eagle. This great prophecy of Daniel chapter 7 covers the same ground as, as Daniel 2. The great image, the metal man, where the head of gold was Babylon, and the chest of silver was Medo-Persia, and the thighs of bronze or brass was Greece, and the legs of iron was Rome. And then you have the division of the Roman Empire. This prophecy of Daniel 7 basically goes over, to the, over the same ground, but it is based on the principle of repetition and enlargement. It enlarges the prophecy of Daniel chapter 2. And it introduces a new character, the personal Antichrist, whom we shall identify this morning. Now the Bible tells us here that the first beast that comes out of the, out of the waters, the Mediterranean Sea, representing the peoples of the old world, is the lion. In Bible prophecy, the lion is symbolic of the kingdom of Babylon. You can read this in Jeremiah chapter 50 and other passages. And also, on my visits to the city of Babylon, and I have been to Babylon, I think, three or four times, I have noticed every time I've gone to Babylon, the winged line on the walls of old Babylon. And so this line is symbolic of the kingdom of the Babylonians that ruled the then known world from uh, 605 to 538 B.C. Now so far we are laying down a foundation so we can identify the Antichrist. Now notice verse 5 please. There before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After Babylon came the power, tell me. Speak up, you should know. As students of history, a little louder, please. This is the kingdom of Medo-Persia. And the Bible tells us that it raised itself up on one side because Media came up first. But then it was Persia which became the dominant power in the partnership. And then we come now to the next world power. Verse 6. After that I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. On its back, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. The beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. And so after Babylon came Medo-Persia. And after Medo-Persia came the kingdom of Alexander the Great. Or the kingdom of... It was the kingdom of Greece. And this power has got four heads. Because the four heads on the leopard represent the breakup of the kingdom of Alexander. And when Alexander was dying, his generals crowded around his bed and they said, Who will have... Cindy, they said... Who will have the kingdom? Alexander said, it will go to the strongest. And after the death of Alexander the Great, his kingdom was divided among his four warring generals. Who are? Do you know this? You came to my campaign in Pasadena. Are you going to fail the test? And let me down on television in the front of all these people? <laughs> oh, that's right. You got them all right. Uh, Cassander. Ptolemy, come on Steve, Seleucus, Lysimachus, hmm? we got him, it's only four, we passed, hmm? everybody here knew this. So there you have Greece and the breakup of the Grecian Empire. Now we come down to verse, verse 7. After that in my vision at night I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from the former beasts and it had ten horns. Now, please listen carefully because this is God's preview of the history of the world as far as it touches the children of Israel and the preaching of the gospel. Bible prophecy is only concerned with those nations that have an influence upon the preaching of the everlasting gospel. 
And so you have Babylon followed by Medo-Persia, Bob, followed by Greece, and then followed by, and you can say it with me, by the Iron Monarchy of Rome. This is the great power of the Caesars. This is the power that trod underfoot the whole wide world, and this is the power that nailed to the cross our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that upon this evil power, the dragon power, upon his head there are ten horns, and from the ten horns come the Antichrist. Now notice what the ten horns are. I want you to notice verse, let me see, I should give you, I think, a verse on this. Come to verse 23, we're going to jump ahead of ourselves. 23, he gave me this explanation, this is the angel speaking, the fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It'll be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. Now just leave it there for a moment. The Bible says that the fourth beast of the dragon is the fourth kingdom and this is the kingdom of Rome. Let me say this to you. I don't think that there is a commentator in the world who would disagree with me so far. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece and Rome and then you have the ten kingdoms, the ten horns, the ten kings, the Bible says, that will come from this kingdom. And history tells us that between the year 300 and 500 AD, approximately, the Roman Empire, devoured by inner corruption, broke up into the kingdoms and the states of Europe. The Alamanni became the Germans, the Franks became the French, uh, the Anglos became the British, and so forth. And so the ten horns on the fourth beast are symbolic of the breakup of the Roman Empire into the kingdoms and the states of Europe. Let me remind every person who is watching on television and the audience today this truth, that this prophecy was given some 500 years plus before Jesus was born. And here we have in a few verses, the history of the world. Here God has given us an overwhelming evidence why we can believe that He is alive. Let me say it to you, the book that you hold in your hands today is the greatest book in the world because it is not merely the book of a man, it is the book of the great God. It is a book that is filled with prophecies and the prophecies written hundreds of years before history fulfilled those prophecies is an overwhelming evidence that there is a God in heaven and this God must love us because he has given us evidence why we can believe. God does not give us such an overwhelming proof of his existence so that there will be no room to doubt. God always leaves a little bit of room to doubt, but God gives me an overwhelming evidence why a reasonable person can believe. And if you are willing to believe, then you can believe today that there is a God in heaven and the world and history, all things are in his hands. God, my friends, is not in time. Time is in our God. And he sees the future, and he sees your future, and he is sovereign Lord of all, King of kings and Lord of lords, and the congregation will say, Amen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're working up to a hallelujah, Helen? Boy, glory. Boy. That's what happens when you get a group of people who are Christians <laughs> and who believe in Jesus. Verse 8, while I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke blasphemously. That is the great historical prophetic antichrist. 
I want you to notice today some of the great identifying marks. I think today I'll probably give you 10 identification marks of the Antichrist. And the first one, here it is, number one, he is a European power. Number one, how do I know? I know it because the Bible tells me so. The Bible says he comes up on the ruins of the Roman Empire. We're told that the Roman Empire is broken up into the kingdoms of the state and the states of Europe, and the Antichrist comes up on the ruins of old Rome, and he comes up in Europe. Number one, Antichrist is a European king. The Bible tells us that he is a little one. Point number two, he has a small beginning. Number one, European. Number two, he has a small beginning. Number three, he uproots three kings. And we will see today, if we have time, that there were three kings that were uprooted by the little horn. Three kings. History tells me who they were. The Heruli, the Vandals, and the Ostrogoths. And we will see this. Are you helping me to preach today, telling me which point to come to? Bless you and thank you. But I think I'm doing all right. Oh, thank you, Steve. He's turning my notes out and pointing. Bless you, Steve. Steve, you're a great friend. Anything else you want me to tell the people? No. Number four. The Bible says, point number four, concerning the Antichrist, that he speaks boastful things. Another part of the Bible says he speaks blasphemous things. This is a king, my friend, who will live, we will see, in the realm of religion. Beware of those who live in the realm of religion. And this king speaks boastful things. He will say, I can forgive your sins if you confess them to me. He will say, we hold upon this earth the place of God Almighty. He will say, I have so much power that I can open to you the kingdom of God. I can excommunicate you and I can throw you into the fires of hell. And if you pay sufficient, I can take you out of hell. What words of swelling blasphemy. But then... Before Daniel is shown anything else about the career of the nefarious little horn, Daniel is taken from the kingdoms of this world, and when the things of this world are overwhelming, my friend, it is time to look up to the throne of God. And so, after he sees the rise of the enemy of the people of God, God says to Daniel, fear not, I want you to look up into glory. And he looks up into glory and he sees something wonderful. Verses 9 to 14. As I looked, as he was watching the Antichrist, as I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Therefore I say, quaking heart, fear not the attacks of men. Fear not the work 
of his disciples, the disciples of Antichrist, because our God reigns, and my friend, there is a judgment. Did you hear this? When the Antichrist is strutting around and everybody's bowing down, he's got everybody terrified, and Daniel is wondering about the success of the preaching of the gospel. He's caught up into glory, and he doesn't see the beast, but he sees the Ancient of Days and one like the Son of Man. You know who that is? This is five, six hundred years before Jesus is born. When this was written, Jesus wasn't the Son of Man. He was God, a spirit being. He was a spirit being. But there in this vision, there is a picture of the eternal God and there's one like the Son of Man. That's Jesus. And the Bible says, you get the picture. There is the Father. There is the Son. There's Jesus. And the Bible says, thousands, thousands ministered unto them. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before them. Who are these? The angels of God. The angels of God. And then the Bible says, the judgment, the court was seated, and the books are, were opened. Listen to me, my friend. There is coming a court that is going to be more definitive than the court that is seating for O.J. down in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. There is going to be a court when the records are going to be opened and there is a record of every life. Did you know that? There is a record of every life. Omar Khayyam said the words, listen, listen. The moving finger writes and having writ moves on. Nor all your piety nor wit shall lure it back to cancel half a line, nor all your tears wash out a word of it. The moving finger writes and having writ moves on, nor all your piety nor wit shall lure it back to cancel half a line, nor all your tears wash out a word of it. It's there for the judgment. And there's only one thing that can expunge the guilty record of our lives, and that is the blood of Jesus. That's why the Son of Man is there, my friend. I'm glad the Son of Man is going to represent me in the judgment because I could not stand in the judgment by myself. There I have a case at court, and court is set. But thank God I have an advocate. And that great judgment that sits is the great final judgment. And before that judgment will be brought the Antichrist and the jury will say guilty and confine him to the flames. There is coming a day when right will prevail. There is coming a day when the kingdom of God will prevail and evil will be no more. So let us not worry about defending ourselves even when we are attacked because there is a judgment day and there is a God on his throne and he is more than able to take care of his trembling children who, if they're like me, sometimes get a bit mad and annoyed. Now, read on, we have the identifying marks of the Antichrist. Verse 15 and onwards, isn't this good material? Oh, it stirs my heart. I get so stirred, I wish I could fly. Verse 15, I, Daniel, was troubled in my spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. Now here we're going to have it. The four great beasts, the four kings that will rise from the earth. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, 
and most terrifying, with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever, whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up, before which three of them fell. That horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. Now I come to point number five. I've given you four points. Point number five. The Antichrist is a European power, boastful, arrogant, but here it is, persecuting. The Antichrist persecutes the people of God. And the text that you just read said this, and he shall be, and this is point number six, the Bible says of the little horn, point number six, he is different. He's different from all the others. He uproots three kings, yes. He persecutes, does all of these things. But the Bible says he is different. Would you like to know why he's different? The Bible tells us why the Antichrist is different. The term anti as is used in this context in the Bible does not mean against. Antichrist does not mean against Christ. Antichrist means in the place of Christ. Antichrist is different because he is the great pretender. He is a counterfeit Christ. And he is different because he is found lurking in the bosom of the church. Mm. Let me give you a text to prove it. Come to 2 Thessalonians, don't lose the place. 2 Thessalonians 2, and verse 3 and 4. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and verse 3 and 4, where it describes the great apostasy, the great falling away. And Paul wrote these words, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. You listening? Notice it in the Bible. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come, that's the coming of Christ, until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. My friend, this is the amazing, the incredible news that the Antichrist is a power, my friend, that is not atheistic. It is not communism in this context. The Antichrist of Bible prophecy is a power that somehow infiltrates the church and takes over the church. And so here is point number six. He is different because he is in the church. Now listen carefully. I want to tell you something that's very important. When God started off his church, it was a church that was based on the Bible, the gospel, Christ, preaching the word. But after the death of the apostles, a sinister change, Stephen, Kathy, Susan, my resident rabbi, came into the church. The church lost the power of the cross, Dr. White. It lost the power of the gospel. And the church 
became a vast political organization and the church losing its power took hold of the power of the state. This is called by church historians the great apostasy and the church became cold, legalistic and formal and the spirit of God no longer lived in the church and the church reached out to compensate for her impotency by taking hold of the power of the state or the power of Caesar. It was the church. Listen to this. One prominent scholar said this. Speaking of the confusion of religions in the world, this commentator said, only the religion that came from God can lead to God. The world is filled with religion, but not all religion comes from God. Most of it is a counterfeit. Only the religion that is centered in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and that is based upon Christ and that preaches the gospel of righteousness by faith and that upholds the Bible only the religion that came from God can lead to God, but the Antichrist was a counterfeit. The Bible says that the great biblical Antichrist is found in the bosom of Christianity, sits in the temple of God. Point number seven. The Bible says the Antichrist would try to change the law of God. There it is. Now notice verse 23 to 25. He gave me this explanation. This is Daniel 7. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is the fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It'll be different from all the other kingdoms. will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. Now, Stephen, we, you and I know this very well, and I need to spend a little time on this. The Bible says that the great amalgamation of church and state that arose on the ruins of the Roman Empire would attempt to change the holy law of God and the Bible says the times. Please notice this. The Bible says the times. This great pseudo-church would try to change the holy times of God. And when you read the Ten Commandments, Patty, there's only one part of the law of God that talks about times, and that is the Holy Sabbath commandment. And here I have Kenan's Catechism. I could bring a hundred books, but time will suffice for only one. Listen. Have you question? Have you any other way of proving that the church has power to institute festivals a precept? Getting close. Answer, had she not such power? Had she not such power? She could not have done that in which all modern religionists agree with her. She could not have substituted the observance of Sunday, the first day of the week, for the observance of Saturday, the seventh day, a change for which there is no scriptural authority. People say, why would she admit it? Because she is being honest. Because she claims to be the true church. And it is a matter of power. And she said that every person will know that I have the power. Here is the evidence of the power. And also she said on one other occasion, it is the mark of my power. That I have changed the Holy Sabbath from the seventh day to the first day of the week. Now my wife, Beverly, who is now at the General Conference, comes from Scottish stock. 
for hundreds and hundreds of years after Christ, the Scottish people up there, away from the rest of the world, kept the seventh day Sabbath. Did you know that many of the Irish, now I have enough Irish in me for it to be dangerous. I was working out as I came to church today how much Irish I've got in me and I've got three quarter English and one quarter Irish and it's just as well it's only one quarter or else my sermons might be more impassioned and more controversial. So thank God the three quarters came from London and one quarter came from Tipperary. Not Belfast at all. Yours came from Croatia, so the less you say, the better this morning. <laughs> the Scotch people kept the Sabbath, kept the seventh day Sabbath. The Irish people for hundreds of years kept the Sabbath. You've heard of St. Patrick? St. Patrick was a Sabbath keeper. All of the early Protestants, all of those people before the Protestants, the whole world, they were Sabbath keepers. For hundreds of years, the Irish, even in the Russian language, I don't have to say, when I say to them, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. They go and look on their calendar, and this day, the seventh day in their calendar, is called the Sabbath. All of the early Russians were Sabbath keepers. The Ukrainians, the early ones, they were Sabbath keepers. If you go down to Africa, all of the Coptic Christians, millions of them, are Sabbath keepers. They were, they were Sabbath keepers, and God gave the Sabbath. It was the great church, this amalgamation of church and state that crushed the Sabbath. That is why I believe in the Sabbath. Listen, after the apostles, strange pagan teachings invaded the church. As the years passed, the men of the church did not become men of spiritual influence, but men of political influence and power and corruption. When you get to the fourth century, the Roman emperor himself becomes a Christian, and his name is Constantine. After his conversion, he murders members of his family, but he made a, a splendid member of the church. The church had been persecuted, but now the persecuted became the persecutor. The great apostasy came into the church, and the darkness of night settled down upon the world. And the church embraced the teachings of Babylon. The immortality of the soul came from Babylon. Purgatory came from heathenism. Infant baptism came from Egypt, pagan. The confessional, where people confessed their sins to another man. Indulgences and all of these teachings, Sunday keeping, all of them were a part of a system that you cannot find anywhere in the Word of God. And the truth of God was largely crushed out. But God has always had his witnesses. God has always had his witnesses. Look at verse 25. It describes his witnesses. Oh, I want to be one of his witnesses, don't you? He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change. <laughs> you see that? He's going to try but he can't. And try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. Point number eight. The Antichrist rules the world for 1260 years. Now let me explain that to you. Don't look up the text now, but go home and look it up. Revelation 12, verse 6 and verse 14. Revelation 12, verse 6 and verse 14 tells us that the time, times, and half a time represent 1260 days. And dear folks, in Bible prophecy, a day symbolizes a year. Ezekiel 4, 6, 
Numbers 14.34. And so these 1260 days, or the three and a half years, the time times and half a time represent 1260 years. And this great church system became a world power in the year 538. And if you add 1260 years onto that, it became a world power in 538 by the decree of the Emperor Justinian that made the leader of that church, the head of the churches, the definer of doctrine, and the corrector of heretics. And then he ruled for 1260 years, that is called the Dark Ages. During the Dark Ages, a hundred million dissenters were put to death. That was the time of the bloody Spanish Inquisition. That was the time of torture, when millions of innocent Roman Catholic Christians and Protestant Christians were butchered and burned. It became the official policy of that great church to torture and burn people. There is an attempt today, you're listening to me? There is an attempt today to silence the preaching of these subjects. I have personally received a threat from the leader of that great organization telling me that I will be destroyed if I continue to preach these prophecies. I'm going to continue on while I've got any breath left in my body because our God is bigger. Our God is bigger. There is an attempt today to tell people these things never happened. There was never an inquisition. There was never an iron virgin. There was never a rack. You look at these eyes. These eyes of mine have actually seen those things. I've seen the racks. I've handled the thumbscrews. I've read the book. I've seen it all. And in the name of God, and in the name of the souls that is deluded, I tell you, it is the Antichrist. Now read on. I'm going to give you an aside now. This is point number nine. Before I read the last verses, come to Revelation 17 real fast. Because Revelation 17 describes this system and makes it as plain as the nose on your face. Revelation 17, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I'll show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into, into the uh, desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. This title was written on her head, Mystery Babylon the Great, the Mother of Harlots of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of those who bore witness to Jesus. In Bible prophecy, a woman is the church. Every Catholic, every Protestant, every Jew knows that. The woman is the church. And here is a church that is drunk with blood. And verse 18 says, The woman you saw is the great city that reigns over the kings of the earth. And back in those days, there was only one great city that reigned over the kings of the earth. And the name of that city where the woman seats, the name of that city is Rome. How plain it is. How plain it is. Point number one, the Antichrist is a church. And it sits in Rome. Now, come back. Point number 10, verse 26, Daniel 7, verse 26. Now we come to the glory. But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and king, and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. I want to tell you folks something. 
Point number 10 says the Antichrist is going to last until the second coming, but God will destroy him. Poor Daniel, my friend, well may his face turn pale. May well your face turn pale at the portrayal of the enormity of this crime. But let me tell you something. We need not be afraid because the Bible says the court is going to sit. It's going to take away his dominion and the kingdom of our God and the kingdom of our Christ is going to come and it's going to crush all those other kingdoms and it's going to last forever and ever. And the good news I have for you today is this, the kingdom of God is going to come. And you and I, by the grace of God, can be a part of the kingdom of God. You know when Jesus was hanging on the cross? He was crucified between two thieves. But one thief recognized that in this suffering, dying man was a king. They could strip him of his clothes and they could strip him, strip him of his honour and they could strip him of his reputation, but he was a king. You couldn't take that from him. He was a king. And as the king was dying, the dying thief said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He was a king still. The Antichrist is the man who became God filled with pride the true Christ is the God who became man filled with glory and forgiveness. Jesus said to the dying thief, truly I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. The dying thief is going to be part of the kingdom of God because he turned to Christ and made him Lord of all. I ask you today to make up your mind and say, by God's grace, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to turn my back on tradition. I'm going to turn my back on the teachings of Antichrist. And I'm going to be true to my Christ. So help me, God. Amen. Amen.